Welcome to Owning the Future of Healthcare, a podcast from Health Catalyst, your leading provider of data and analytics technology and services to healthcare organizations. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare, a Health Catalyst podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thank you so much for joining us on another healthcare industry piece of Health Catalyst content. We appreciate you joining us for some quality industry thought leadership. As we maneuver today's live podcast, make sure that you're heading to our website, healthcatalyst.com. Again, healthcatalyst.com. For more information on the various technologies and topics we're going to break down today, and also make sure that you're subscribing to our podcast, Owning the Future of Healthcare, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You'll find a full catalog of previous conversations, plus notifications when we drop new ones. You definitely don't want to miss our content. All right, folks. So on today's episode of the show, we're digging into strategies for healthcare financial management in specifically today's care environment in a post-COVID world. Many healthcare organizations still struggle at large to achieve effective financial management, especially as they continue trying to implement value-based care systems. So with our conversation today, we hope to unravel the most useful strategies around how to build sustainable and beneficial finance management systems in the care industry, what doesn't work and what does work and why, and why this is so critical for today's care needs specifically. So, joining us to share his thoughts today, I'm very pleased to welcome Mr. Dan Unger, Senior Vice President and General Manager for the Financial Transformation Business of Health Catalyst. Dan, welcome. Great to have you on. How are you doing? Good morning, Daniel. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a real uh, real pleasure to have a meeting of the Dans here for a Health Catalyst conversation. So I appreciate you taking some time to offer our audience some perspective here on financial management in healthcare. So let's go ahead and get a better overview of what exactly it is that we're talking about today. So in your definition, what falls under the umbrella of healthcare financial management, especially post-COVID? Has that umbrella widened, changed? Has it stayed the same? What have you seen? Yeah, I'll give a brief brief overview because no single organization is structured the same. But in general, healthcare financial management deals with the business side of healthcare. There, you know, there are lots of different domains, um, but the two biggest ones would be accounting, you know, providing the means to measure, document, report a business's financial reporting, similar to many other businesses, and then financial planning and budgeting. And this is the group that provides concepts, tools, analysis that helps administrative, clinical, and operational leaders make better financial decisions. Um, I'd say that I don't think the the umbrella has broadened necessarily under COVID, um, but I think that there's probably different focuses on some of the key activities. And, and some of the key activities specifically under the financial planning and budgeting area are forecasting and planning financing options, deciding whether to lease versus buy, how and when, what type of debt to raise. And, and this is actually a really big deal for these large healthcare systems that have huge fixed assets. When you think about buildings, hospitals, surgical centers, et cetera, cost accounting, you know, how to actually account for the cost of care at a meaningful level, contract management, and uh, um, some may put revenue cycle under here. And so I, you know, I think those are kind of the key activities, the high level groups that you'd experience in most, most health systems. And then what's changed is the, in, in my opinion, um, again, it hasn't broadened, but there's probably a bigger focus on managing costs for the first time, you know, in, the, in a very long time, healthcare saw lower volumes and they have a really big 
fixed cost problem in healthcare. And so people are scrambling to identify ways to, to manage costs. I think that's probably something that's been highlighted recently. And to that point, I'm wondering if you can expand a little bit on how financial management got sort of a, a focus or a refocus during the pandemic. Uh, could you expand on how that aspect of healthcare operations shifted or gained some unprecedented importance in the wake of the pandemic? And maybe even more importantly, have there been any consequences you've seen of poor financial management during the crisis? And where's that leaving our care organizations today? Yeah, yeah. Again, I think the biggest the biggest uh, area that's been highlighted is the 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 management of costs and cost containment because right. for the first time ever uh, the rug has been pulled out of the traditional way that health systems manage their business which is as long as I have my volumes and I manage to revenue you know I'll do fine um, but many of them are on razor thin margins I think you know somewhere in the one and a half to two percent margin range uh, for for you know standard health system doesn't leave a lot for significantly lower volumes and lower revenue. I, I think another interesting aspect of, of financial management that you know has arisen from the pandemic is that the competitive barriers for some of these innovative companies like telehealth, direct primary care, um, you know, there's virtual physical therapy. A lot of these uh, now are true competitors to health systems. They were kind of on the fringe before. And so I think from a financial management perspective, financial groups need to be able to help their systems become more innovative and address these new competitive threats. And, you know, to do to both manage their margins and lower volumes and to be able to make strategic moves, they have got to be able to both understand and manage their cost structure and make intelligent strategic bets. And, you know, health systems typically just don't have those capabilities or haven't had to flex them very much. And and uh, that's something that everyone's going to have to figure out to, to compete in the new world. So if you had to give your diagnosis, I guess, to, you know, stay thematically on track here, why is it difficult for healthcare operations to optimize their financial management? Are there key roadblocks that continue to pop up for the industry? Uh, you know, is there a lack of um, resources to guide organizations in the right direction? What are you seeing and why? Yeah, I think, you know, it's not, uh, it's not as straightforward as you think, because sure. one is that health, like the business of healthcare is really hard. Right. It's really, really hard. It's complex. It's highly regulated. It's fragmented. You have huge players like large insurers that help kind of drive the revenue. You have the government that sets pricing. Um, you have in certain states, uh, certain rules around labor and how you have to staff an OR or a nursing floor. And so it is just really really hard. So let's be honest about that. So finance people in healthcare have a hard job and I've, I've been in their shoes and I, I know it. Their barriers are addressable. You know, in, in a lot of health systems, just the act of bringing the right data together in a way that's understood, trustworthy, and timely is really challenging for many people. You know, you've got um, data from payroll systems and time in attendance. You've got EMRs, multiple EMRs. You've got financial systems. You've got all these different data sources. And for finance, and many times they're still kind of in a silo, scrambling with dozens of spreadsheets and just trying to make sense of the data um, and just 
keeping you know standard reports running and getting data out the door and and i think that's something that's a barrier that you know should be uh should be able to address we should be able to address um additionally finance teams in healthcare have built a lot of their stuff their processes their reports their tools around reporting to finance people right it, it, it's more of box checking and, and getting finance reports to finance people and not around arming the operational and clinical teams with the information they need to run their run their areas better. And, you know, one example kind of of this, um, I don't even know what you'd call it. It's not a, you know, a, a cultural thing, but, it, you know, I think from the perspective of many clinical and operational people, finance is kind of in their own world. My wife's a a physician who works for a large health system and she calls the finance and business people the suits. It's like, oh, oh crap, the suits are here again. Um, and, you know, you can just kind of see this get disconnect between the finance people and the perception from the clinical folks that they don't understand their world and what they do. Right. And, you know, I think that that's, that's something that finance teams can address. You know, a lot of it is because they set unrealistic goals with it, you know, didn't have feedback from clinical or operational teams. They used black box logic and data that no one understands how they got to, to, you know, ask for people to manage or lower costs. And, you know, they can't even explain how they got to that. Um, and there is a true lack of understanding of the finance people in terms of the real clinical and operational workflows and data. So, I, you know, and I, I'll, I can, I could probably talk at length about what could be done, but I think finance teams need to both change um, their perspective and say that my job is not to you know, deliver finance reports, but my job is to deliver data to operational and clinical folks to run their business better and to help leaders make better decisions. Um, in order to do that, they've got to upskill. You know, I think every finance person should have to go sit in a clinic or work in a clinic and sit in the RevCycle billing office to see, you know, how all the challenges of, you know, insurance denials and dealing with patient, you know, billing and all that. Um, they should have to uh, really understand and sit in the shoes of, you know, the people that are running the business. Um, additionally, I, we see out there a lot, a lack of technical understanding. You know, many finance people are kind of, stuck waiting for someone in IT to give them a spreadsheet, you know, and then they know what to do with the data and they're really smart. Um, but I think that many finance teams are going to have to upskill or, you know, complement the finance skills with technical skills like SQL, Python, um, to, to help the finance teams kind of move into the modern era of data management. So that, that's that's my perspective, Daniel, and obviously lots of opinions, but I've, you know, I have lived and breathed um, being in their shoes. So I understand it. I know it's, it's, it's just not easy, but there are things we can do to make it better. Yeah. I mean, what you're laying out is a comprehensive, holistic path forward. But like you mentioned, it's got a lot of moving pieces. So I'll follow up with you here in a little bit on how we actually achieve that in your view. What I want to do now is rewind the clock a little bit. I know before your time at Health Catalyst, you worked with R1RCM, where you managed a consulting team that worked with large health systems to improve their revenue cycle processes and reduce costs through exactly what we're talking about, analytics, which then guide operational improvements. So I'm curious if you can share some of your insights from what you learned during your work at R1RCM. Uh, what did you learn while guiding those large health systems and what strategies did you find yourself advising the most and why do you still find them applicable today? Yeah, yeah, I think um, 
the, the thing that was most uh, that, that I enjoyed the most about that part of my job was that I wasn't, I was in the trenches with the team, but my only job was to help them do their jobs better. So we had the flexibility and the tools to work hand in hand with the billing office, with the you know front desk staff to help identify their pain points. Um, I'd say the, the, the two lessons for me are, you know, one, all of this is um, waste to the healthcare system, right? The entire rev cycle process is because we have a broken economic model. And, uh, and you know, the complexities driven by private insurance and, and the government make it really hard to just get paid in healthcare. And so let's be honest that the root cause of the problem is that. Um, and that many rev cycle companies and jobs you know, you wouldn't need the amount of technology, the amount of consulting, the amount of labor that we have in healthcare if that wasn't broken. Right. That being said, it's a reality of, you know, where we are and the world we live in. And I think the biggest lesson for me was that there's so many different steps in the rev before a patient comes in and scheduling to, you know, prior collections, to the actual checking in and getting insurance verified to, you know, entering charges and all that and getting paid. There are so many handoffs that many of these teams are just stuck in their individual silos. And what you need is someone and data to connect the dots in those processes and fix things upstream. You know, it's, it's red cycle is, you know, ripe for process improvement. You know, we've gotten really good um, in red cycle at, you know, fixing broken things better but uh, not as good at um, fixing broken processes that lead to uh, challenges downstream. And so that for me was our, you know, we, we took some black belt courses and um, my, my favorite lesson was that Six Sigma, Lean, all that's a bunch of garbage. It's all about process improvement, which is going as far upstream as you can to stop a broken process, as opposed to just getting better at reworking um, issues downstream. And, and I think, you know, all of that holds true, even though I've been, you know, out of that world directly for almost seven or eight years, uh, healthcare doesn't move much. So I think a lot of the challenges, you know, that, that uh, we faced back then are still as prevalent, if not worse today. Yeah, it doesn't move much for better or for worse, I would say. Yeah. So. I want to, and thank you for all that context so far, I want to expand on a pervasive financing model for care and get some of your thoughts on its efficiency and efficacy. That would be specifically activity-based costing, ABC. Uh, so in a healthcare context, this means categorizing and allocating costs as practices of providing goods and services to the patient. You know, it's pretty straightforward, activity-based costing. In your opinion, how well or not well has this costing model worked for healthcare organizations in this broader uh, search for uh, sustainable financial management and why? Obviously, it's a methodology that's been the de facto cost accounting methodology in manufacturing since the 70s. So it's pretty mm -hmm. tried and true. Uh, but in healthcare, it's been underadopted, right? I think, you know, until recently, um, people thought it was impossible. You know, for, for decades, there truly wasn't enough data, right? All you had was, you know, some billing codes and, um, you know, financial statements. 
But with the you know, rollout of the EMR and adoption of EMRs and the wealth of information that we have in there today, activity-based costing is now a reality. You know, we have timestamps about who is in the OR um, for which patient. We've got timestamps on uh, imaging, you know, machines like CTs, MRIs, really high-cost areas. We know when people checked in and checked out, and there's more data coming every day. So I think that for a while it actually was not very possible, um, but uh, now with this wealth of data, it is. But there's still this misconception that it's impossible or too hard or not worth the effort, um, and that's just not true, right? It's it, you know many many health systems use charge-based costing. Um, which just basically takes charge codes and, and you either assign a ratio based on the cost to charge for that department, or you have a team manufacture relative value units. And the effort it takes to maintain, you know, one of those systems is extremely high. And so with passive collection of data today, we can make activity-based costing a reality with less effort because all of this data is being collected already. It's really just making sure you can link up these activities, pick the right activities, clean them up, and link them appropriately to the costs. And so I think that there aren't a lot of health systems. You know, I think it's uh, an early adopter market, but it is going to be the standard, right? It, it, it just is. Um, and it's something that uh, we can do today and make it a reality. And it's something health systems have to do. So, but, you know, there's... There's a lot of background there in terms of how we evolved to where we are today. You know, there there have been people that have done activity-based costing in select areas by, you know, spending 500 grand to have, you know, a consultant come in and do timestamps. And so I think that a lot of that has led to, you know, the juice not being worth the squeeze. But uh, I think I think now but more than ever, understanding your cost is mission critical to surviving as a health system. Yeah. So if you had to do sort of a pro and con or compare and contrast, what other costing systems do you see attempted by care organizations and to what effect? Basically, how would you compare the pros and the cons between legacy cost models and activity-based costing? That's a good question. And, and I think to be clear, there's not a single methodology that is best or will work for you know every health system. Um, or even de departments within health systems, so you have to take a pragmatic approach. There are some areas where you just don't have good data or you don't have enough cost to justify the investment in fixing data or getting new data sources. Um, but the most common approaches out there are ratio cost to charges uh, and, and RVU-based approaches. I think that the, the pros to those are that it's based off of charge data, which, you know, everyone is used to in healthcare now. You know, you've got um, rev codes, you've got uh, CPT codes, and people understand those financially, right? That's how you bill. And so I think that's one of the pros that many, especially finance people, that's how they look at the world. Um, I think one of the biggest cons to that is that uh, that's not what the product or service is in healthcare. If you were to talk to a doctor or an operations person, you're not delivering charge codes. 
you deliver care. And that's what the product or service is. And the activities that drive the, the cost of care are time spent by doctors, nurses, support staff, the buildings and equipment used um, where, where patients go, the actual drugs and supplies. And so I think what happens is that, you know, charge-based approaches are good for finance because, you know, charge data is everywhere and they understand it. The, the big con is that that's not the real world that operational and clinical folks live in. And so they don't understand that data. You know, when you go to them to say, hey, lower, you know, your labor costs are too high. And they say, how'd you get that? And you're like, oh, well, you know, Jimmy in accounting put an RVU of this to labor for these charge codes. And, you know, that's how we got it. And yours is high. They kind of, you know, draw a blank and then ignore you for the rest of time. <laughs> when you go to them and you say, hey, you're you're spending more time on these procedures. Look, you've got more staff and you're spending 30 minutes longer. How can we get that down? It, a light turns on. And so, you know, I think those old approaches were good just because you have something at least. Um, and it's understandable to finance, but it does not build a bridge between operational and clinical people. It does not reflect reality. It hides variation. Um, and, and it's just not a, it's not a sufficient approach for actually managing a business. For activity-based costing, you know, I think the hard part is, um, actually just a, a mindset change. Um, and getting people to understand that, hey, yeah, you might not have cost for these charge codes. And it just kind of blows their minds. And they're like, oh, well, that's how I charge. And that's all I know. Um, and so that's often what we see is the biggest obstacle, uh, you know, is we can get to the data. We can generate these, you know, these great activities and costs associated with them. But the educational and cultural shift to look at the world differently is what we see as the biggest hurdle and challenge to, to ABC and healthcare. So it sounds like, for the most part, activity-based costing creates a lot of agility in healthcare financial management, especially in practice, just because of the way that it does intersect often siloed or disparate sets of data and departments and brings them into a more unified costing model and financial management structure. Can you lay out some of the most important touch points in your opinion that ABC, that activity-based costing brings to the care ecosystem, or just, I guess, break down where along that timeline and in those departments, does it have significant touch points? Yeah, I think, I think activity-based costing has the, um, you know, the most application and benefit in the really high cost areas. Um, like surgery and OR, the nursing floor, mm. imaging areas where you have a lot of resources, both indirect and direct, and you also have a lot of data. Um, in, in these areas, you have people that really are starving for this kind of data. They want to manage the business better. They want to run operations more smoothly. They just haven't had you know, this, this type of information at their fingertips. And so I think those are the key areas, those really high cost, complex areas where we have big expenditures and we have good data. Um, and you typically have service line leadership and, and clinical leadership that's really starving for this kind of information. Well, as we begin to wrap up our conversation, and Dan, just thank you so far for all of these great insights. I want to bring Health Catalyst a little more specifically into the conversation. 
Can you give our audience some context on how Health Catalyst helps its clients try to take advantage of costing models like this and to what effect? Yeah, yeah I think Health, Health Catalyst is in a fortunate position because we built a business off of deep access to and expertise across hundreds of healthcare source systems and data domains. So we actually started from trying to acquire and make sense of many of these activities. You know, we started doing it in the clinical domain and then, you know, realized that, oh, wow, these could be used for cost accounting and understanding the, the business side of healthcare. And, and I think it's important to note that um, it's not just about access to the data or, or you know, and understanding what models work, but having the expertise to make the data usable. It's not like there's just this perfect table in an EMR saying, hey, here's staff time for these exact departments and link it back over to cost. There's a web of, you know, tangled connections and data quality issues that you have to work through to make it usable and to be able to automate it. And, and I think that's where we differentiate ourselves and, and make this possible. Um, I'd say that beyond that, not just the ability to create the data, but having more of an, a flexible data ecosystem where finance people aren't just stuck to canned reports from a you know solution vendor, but they actually have access to all of the underlying data elements, all of this great financial data in in one place in our DOS environment. And, and so I think where we see the biggest benefit is when finance people not only get this foundational data, but they understand the asset that they have and they, they, they work with their analytics teams to generate reports that help them do their jobs better. Um, because they know what they, they know what they need. They just have never been able to do it. And so it's both a combination of them understanding what's possible and then just, you know, working on, on making it a reality. So I think that. Um, you know, those, those are the things that make us different. And I think it's mission critical. It's not going to be enough to just have canned reports on, you know, charge or RVU based costing. If you're going to try to compete with Amazon or direct primary care group or sign up for a really um, large capitated contract, you know, you've got to have a better understanding of the true cost of care. You've got to have access to all these different data elements and there isn't a one size fits all solution. So I think, you know, that that's what makes us different. What, what makes me really excited about what we're doing. Yeah. It sounds like the future is very bright for health catalysts in this space. And I'm curious to see how your approach continues to drive value for care organizations. So last but not least, I want to harken back to something that you brought up earlier, which you laid out kind of the various different moving pieces that need to change for healthcare organizations to have a better grasp of their financial management. So I'm curious what you see as the main challenges that come from trying to implement something like activity-based costing models and what advice would you offer to maneuver those challenges? Specifically, what you mentioned about reskilling and upskilling, uh, that's a huge investment in making sure that the workforce understands and uh, can master the various moving pieces to achieve financial management obviously takes a lot of work. So I'm curious what you see as those big challenges and some quick strategies for how to maneuver them. Yeah, I, I think it, number one is it starts with a forward-thinking financial leader. If you don't have that, this just isn't going to happen. You know, and we, we've seen that over and over. Um, many times we have clinical leaders 
wanting, saying, this is what I want, bring it in, and, and finance, people are actually the barrier. So I think you need a strong, forward-thinking finance leader to make this happen, and then they have to be willing to invest, whether it's in training for the finance team, whether it's in assigning dedicated resources that are technical to support and complement the finance team. Um, you, you need to invest in those technical capabilities one way or another. And then another part of it is just carving out the time. Again, many of these people are just stuck running reports, doing their day-to-day. And if you want them to be able to do something different, you have to carve out the time and make it a priority. And so beyond, you know, teaching people SQL and and all that, I think um, it's just the focus that is probably the first and biggest hurdle. All right. And I think on that note, Dan, that does it for our episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare today. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us your perspective here on how to achieve quality financial management in today's care environment, laying out some of the most common challenges that we're facing today and why and offering some strategies to fix them. So again, we've been chatting with Dan Unger, Senior Vice President and General Manager for the Financial Transformation Business of Health Catalyst. And Dan, if folks want to find out a little bit more about Health Catalyst's work in the space, how can they learn more and how can they get in touch? Uh, Go to healthcatalyst.com. We've got all sorts of resources there, white papers, um, product descriptions, and an ability to reach out to us directly. So uh, easy, easy to get a hold of us. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, message me directly. That's one of my favorite ways of connecting people. So, uh, thank you, Daniel, the better Dan on the call today and, uh, <laughs> fun, fun talking about, uh, healthcare finance. Yeah. I don't know about that. At least equitable Dan's, right? I love it. <laughs> Dan Unger. Thank you so much for your time. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a good one. See ya. And thank you everyone for watching this episode of Owning the Future of Healthcare, a Health Catalyst podcast. Make sure you're heading to our website, healthcatalyst.com, and subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time on Owning the Future of Healthcare.